You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BNH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan White. Greetings and welcome to the BNH Photography Podcast. Today we are with photographer, director, visual engineer Steve Gerald in his studio on West 36th Street in Manhattan, which is just around the corner from our BNH studio. And recording in Steve's studio is appropriate because this is where the magic happens. And I'm not just talking about visual magic, but precisely managed lighting, electronic, and robotic magic. How's that? Is that good? Is that, good? that sounds great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, you're with me on this you one. nailed it. Steve is a multi-award winning editorial and advertising photographer whose client list includes, among others, Budweiser, Godiva, Campton, Morgan, BBDNO, Starbucks, PepsiCo, GE, and Folgers, followed by a long list of et ceteras. Steve's big-time viral moment occurred in the form of a short behind-the-scenes video featuring a cinematic ballet of all of the ingredients of a hamburger flying up and across the screen and somehow falling into place perfectly on a plate in camera. No digital voodoo. We're going to be talking to Steve about how he combines his photography and video work and how he pitches himself to clients in both genres. We're also going to talk to Steve about the do-it-yourself spirit and know-how that is at the core of his work, whether it be making the lights he uses, the 3D printer, the, to the mechanical arms and everything else. Thank you so much for having us here today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. This is going to be really fun. You started as, as a high school photographer, newspaper photographer, and a senior doing portraits. You went to RIT and you came to New York City doing travel and lifestyle photography. What image got you noticed by PDN in 2005 as one of the, what, 30 under 30? Yeah, that, that was actually the first year was not under 30 anymore. They just started calling it the PDN 30. Ah, but, okay. but yet I was under 30, so I think I get <laughs> extra points for that. That um, makes you a collector edition, you know. <laughs> exactly. You can be worth more on eBay one of these days. <laughs> one day for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, when I first came to the city, I started assisting and working as a you know, one of the new digital texts, because that, that's kind of right where digital was really taking off. Yes. And while I was doing that, I started traveling and shooting pictures on film with my Hasselblad camera. And, and my my portfolio when I was in the city at first was a travel portfolio. That's what I wanted to do. I was Safe like, to assume that it's all stills that you were doing at that I was, point in time? I was only doing stills, okay. yeah, at that point in time. Um, so I started traveling and I started shooting and, and I put my portfolio together and um, I started getting some clients and I was like, um, some early clients were Severe Magazine, which is a food and travel magazine, which makes sense. And uh, Rachel Raid's magazine had just started, so I shot a few travel articles for them, including food and travel. And um, as that started kind of going, um, I started also shooting a lot more food, less travel. And slowly that transitioned over years and years as once I started going on, on my own and shooting. Was it your choice to do food or it just happened the way that's the, the way the river was flowing? It's kind of the way the river was flowing. Okay. And then I'll go on to say how the river <laughs> keeps changing direction every few years. That's it great. really does. Um, but basically, you know, I started, you know, food and travel, then moved into mostly food. Right. And then from there, I got a call one day from Victoria's Secret. And they're like, we food, want food, of course. Yeah, hey. of course. Yeah, yes. we want to see your portfolio. And I'm like, why, why do they want to see my portfolio? Um, and I found out. I asked a few questions that they, they wanted somebody that could shoot uh, still life of shoes was really what they wanted to do back then. And I was like, oh, I guess I could do that. Food, shoes, you know, still life. I could do it. So I actually ran out um, over a weekend. I put together a portfolio of shoes. I, I called up my girlfriends. I'm like, give me your shoes. <laughs> I have a camera. You know, I'm gonna just 
shoot a bunch of stuff at the studio. I, I rent, you know, I borrowed my friend's camera, shot, printed it on my Epson printer, and put a portfolio together and dropped it off on Monday. And they're like, "We love this. This is great." And they hired me for some Victoria's Secret shoots, and I started doing catalog. And the the river flowed, you know, from food into a lot more still life. And as we kept, you know, going in still life, and they kept hiring me. And, I, and actually, to to this day, I still shoot for Victoria's Secret. I just shot for them last week. Uh-huh, um, okay. It's transitioned to uh, clothing more than shoes, but yeah, amazing. It's 12, 13 years do something they, like they I've been working for them. Do they keep the the separate? the world separate from the modeling shoots compared to the clothes and still life shoots? Is that kind Traditionally, of a hard line? Yes. Yeah. Okay. The, the, you know, they will shoot on some of the on figure shoots, some still life, but the still, the, the on figure guys, just most of them aren't very good at doing still life. It's, it's just a whole different realm, you know? Um, so yeah, no, but funny enough, like, and now I just recently, we started talking about maybe me doing video for them, which also ties into how my river has been flowing lately. Mm-hmm. So let me jump back real quickly, though. You said that when, when you came down to New York and were starting, you were already a digital tech guy, or you were starting to that? You were still studying still film. It was literally that transition. Okay. I mean, I moved here in August, I believe it was, and I still assisted for photographers doing film for probably six months, and then suddenly just jumped into the digital teching thing, because I had learned it at RIT. You had, okay. You know, because so. they were cutting edge on, you know, learning new technologies, and they had me in format digital backs. And, you know, back then it was like six megapixels or right, something right, like right, that. Right, right. But when again, you know. And well, you were in demand because most photographers then, they were still in the film world and they depended on young guys like you who were freshly trained with thinking digitally right. to come in and do it. I, I know at least a half a dozen people who are digital shooters now that started off exactly like that. They were digital techs because. You guys were the go-to people. Otherwise, right. nothing happened. Right. And back then, I mean, it wasn't like, oh, you just plugged it in and it worked. I mean, oh, almost no. almost <laughs> every no. shoot, I was taking up, open up this like G4 Mac tower and checking the RAM and the hard drive connections. You know, like something was always going wrong. And, and no matter how much I tested it, it was always like the second that the model came on set or something that's just like, and the whole thing gray screen and, you know, crashed. And um, no, it was great. because the good old days. The good old days. And... <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I've always kind of been forward thinking in, in adopting new technologies and kind of moving with the times. And sometimes I feel like ahead of the times as much as I can. Well, you talk about how things change and, and you know, maybe you never expected to be where you are now. But I bet that a lot of the stuff that you learned and, and you, you'd spoken to me earlier, how you have an engineering background, at least in your family. I mean, that stays with you all the way through. Right. And, and that kind of foundation. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. Um, and then. You know, so basically by by like 2005, I was shooting on my own full time, had my own studio and everything. Um, I mean, it was like I shared it with this other guy and we had mice that came out at 6 p.m. to see what fell from the day. And, you know, <laughs> it wasn't a great place, but it, it worked out quite well. Why not? So back then, um, I actually decided to take a, a, a video class as well, but it was actually film. We shot 16 millimeter film. It was a night class at SVA. And I, you know, I was like, oh, now I want to get into motion. This sounds like a really fun thing. I've never explored it in school, you know. So actually, continuing ed classes have been really, really amazing for me because uh, that was the beginning. I did film at SVA, and then there's this place that opened up in Brooklyn that is now closed um, that had all these other classes. So I took woodworking, I took welding, I took uh, epoxies and plastics, I took uh, intro to electronic circuits. You know, so basically, I would like. 
continually. All the basic photo 101 stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, okay. that stuff was already easy. I already knew how to do that. <laughs> you know, for, for a lot of people, that's enough of a struggle is trying to get through OF stop and exposure and lighting. And, you know, to that all really came very natural to me. And, you know, RIT also gave me a really good base for learning all that stuff and, and the wide range of things that I would shoot. Um, but you know, once again, I'm, I'm a learning robot. I, I love to, you know, keep learning and learning and learning. I'm really passionate about, you know, always taking on new things and learning new things. Um, and it's part of the reason why I really kind of embrace change where, versus some people, you know, don't do that as much. They're, they're a lot more set in their ways. Uh, but I get bored really easily. Do you ever, <laughs> do you ever sleep? I, can, I can't imagine you lying still. You know, I, I, I you know, it's kind of like an on off button. It's like, oh, okay, uh, time to reboot, you know. Yeah, but um, I don't lie still very easily. You know, it's, it's kind of like, go, go, go. Okay, I must rest. And then kind of keep going. So this, this term visual engineer, when did you come up with that? And, and how, why do you start to define yourself as a visual engineer? Yeah, uh, well, basically... You know, kind of where we started talking already that the fact that I bring so much engineering to the work I'm doing today. Um, so about when I started doing that burger thing about a year ago, um, I was like, I am really engineering a shot from the ground up and, and truly combining image making with engineering in you know, very radical ways and, you know, really millisecond accurate timing on things, not just like, oh, yeah, we'll just make a little arm that drops something. No, like I, it was like. 15 events in a sequence like happening in like scientific, you know, I, I kind of order. I can tell you watching that video play. And by the way, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, we're going to have that in video, that video embedded on yep. our website. So yep. that anyone who's listening to this podcast, if you want to see what we're talking about, go to the B&H podcast page and you'll see it on, on this uh, episode. But when I watched it the first time, First of all, watching the, the the actual video that you shot with ketchup and mustard flying through the air and joining hands and everything else just coming, it's 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 amazing to watch. But then watching the scene of it actually happening, right. both slow motion and still life, I, my mind was just boggled. I, I the first thing that struck me is how does this man's mind actually function? <laughs> and I don't mean that in a bad way at all, I say because that is the most complex series of things. And I, I, I know you obviously have probably had at least a hand calculator with you to figure <laughs> it out, but I've never seen something that complex and it's pulled off so beautifully. And, and from what you said, you, you got the shot in the third take. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's it has radically changed the way I think. I mean, I'm, a half second to me is an eternity, yeah. you know? You know, because when I'm, you know, when I'm shooting that high speed video, you know, at a thousand frames, you know, that half second plays back as like 40 seconds, you know, which is an eternity. You're not going to sit there and watch one take for 40 seconds. So as it is, we're going to speed things up or whatever. But, you know, the, the fact that in, in especially in that project, you know, one millisecond increments, which is point zero zero one seconds for people that want to visualize that is was a normal, you know, oh, I need to change that point ozo one seconds ahead or behind so that, the, you know, the rubber band wasn't in the, the view of the camera or something while the camera moved. Um, and it's totally changed the way I see how I, I make images now. And, and, and basically, that's kind of where the visual engineering came from is, is that it's really this harmony of engineering and creating systems because that's basically what engineers do. I mean, they, they fix things, they create systems to, to accomplish a task. And basically, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm designing these systems to accomplish the task of these cool visuals uh, for clients. And is video kind of at the heart of that now? I mean, I, I've kind of, in a lot of ways, switched to thinking in video first. Yeah, you know, because basically, since a lot of the effects are happening practically in camera, it's not like you know, because 
take your traditional still life photographer, right? You're going to do a splashing shot or something. They're going to shoot a little piece of a splash here, a piece of a splash there. They're going to hit this, hit that. They're going to spend, you know, half a day in Photoshop. And, they, they get this and they really get a killer splash. Amazing, amazing but, thing. But once yeah. you want to try to do a video of that, that that no longer works. You know, that, that whole process. It. So basically by the fact that I'm, I'm shooting, I'm thinking of the process first as a video, the still photos easy, you know, in, in the fact that, I could still get I could get a great starting point for still doing some more retouching and tweaking it because you're really concentrating on this one moment. But at the same time, you know, I you could get both a lot more easy because you're kind of doing it for real. Mm-hmm. And why not just pull the fill, uh, still out of the video then? Because uh, that really doesn't work. <laughs> people people have been trying that for a long time. They're like, oh, we'll just pull a still from the video. But you, you, you're not freezing the action when you're doing. Basically, that. you need, especially for tabletop, especially yeah. for what I'm doing, which is you know, food exploding things, water powders. Is basically your, your action is happening so fast that to try to freeze that you, and try to get at the same time get a good video because motion blur is an inherent need of nice smooth video the way that we like to see it we don't like it to feel really choppy as things happen because we actually want the motion blur when we're shooting video but when you're shooting stills you don't want any of that blur you want to be super tech sharp so that's the big reason why i'm kind of treating them differently but actually i've, I've found ways and we could talk about this more as, as far as how I'm, I'm slamming the two right into each other and shooting both at the same time using my like special technologies that I've invented. What kind of cameras are you using? I have to ask you because in the video, I, I was watching, I couldn't identify what yeah. that was. The the video camera that I use most frequently is the uh, Phantom Flex 4K. Um, it's a, it's a great way to spend over a hundred thousand um, dollars. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I don't own it yet. But I, I have uh, I rent it from a, a couple different places. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, so it's it'll shoot a thousand frames a second at 4K resolution in you know in raw format. I mean, it's beautiful. The, the, you know, the, the footage you get off of that camera is just amazing. Um, and then as far as still cameras, I mostly shoot with actually an old Hasselblad 555 ELD um, camera body with a phase one IQ 180, uh, 80 megapixel digital back on it. Um, so it's really, I mean, both, you know, capture devices I'm using are really kind of the highest end that you could kind of use. Mm-hmm. How much does it cost to rent the Phantom? Uh, the Phantom is traditionally about $3,500 a day. Um, for the base body, that's you know no lenses, and the the drives. It all depends on how many drives you want with it, um, but they could be another thousand dollars on top of that because um, the Phantom itself is. I think the body now goes for like one hundred twenty thousand dollars. Each drive is like twenty or thirty thousand dollars. And do you, you have know? a tech with each of these rentals, or do you know enough about <laughs> them to, to the do it yourself? No, seriously, <laughs> no, no. I, actually, on on on, if it's not a job, right? I tech it myself. Okay. Uh, it's actually really. Once you learn it, it's really not that complex. And there's some places in the city here that'll do training courses over a weekend. Um, this actually, is not the kind of yes. Anybody can go in as, as long as you have the credit cards to cover the the value of it. They'll rent it. But it doesn't mean you can use. Not it. really. Actually, in the city, most people that have Phantoms will only rent it if you're using a certified tech with the Phantom because it's such a special okay, technology. Okay, that's why I was asking. Yeah. All right. But for me, I learned how to do it, and the people I rent with from most of the time aren't a big rental company. They're actually people that individually own the Phantoms. Gotcha. So they'll be like, oh, sure, here, Steve, we'll, we'll rent it to you. We know that you know what you're doing. Yes. Uh, but it's it's such a completely, like working with the Phantoms is a completely different way of working because you're basically working with a buffer. You know, where you're used to with your regular video camera, you hit record and you hit stop when you're done, right? But the Phantom actually just has a set buffer. So if I'm shooting a thousand frames a second, it, it could record 10 seconds of time 
and then it's it's basically continually recording 10 seconds and it overwrites what happens 10 seconds ago oh. to keep going. So basically you have to you, you really only have a window of 10 seconds is what you're telling me. At a thousand frames. If you're doing 500 frames in and you have 20 seconds, it, right. it all depends on basically has a set of, I think it's 64 gigabytes of data that captures in 10 seconds. Um, so once it fills that buffer, it just keeps overriding the buffer. So if you don't trigger the camera at the right moment, you could actually lose an amazing shot. Well, you should, is there a difference in image quality between with these particular cameras between 500 frames a second and a thousand? Can you look at it and see visually a difference? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's twice as fast or twice as Slow, but guess, I'm just saying you know, image yeah. quality degradation. No, the quality is exactly no. Okay, it doesn't it doesn't lose any image quality at all for the with the Phantom. Um, if you go to this, in you know, I'm I'm hoping that technology keeps to advancing. But you know, all the major camera manufacturers like Sony and Ari and Blackmagic and none of them are really kind of pushing above like 120 frames a second. Um, like Red and a few others are going are touching like 240 frames, but at 1080p. You know, so now we're talking about the, the Phantom will do a thousand frames at 4K. You know, so you know it's kind of it's night and day. There's really no competition for it um, right now. I wish there was, honestly. But one, you know, one interesting thing is, as you know, I'm very much a technologist and futurist, thinking about you know what's coming five, ten years down the line. And honestly, I see the world where you know photographers, cinematographers, you're just going to have one camera that we both use. I mean, if you look at Sony and what they're doing. And you see Canon and what they did when they introduced the 5D Mark II. That that kind of is like the, the chain reaction, I believe, that were that kind of started it all. I mean, the fact that you know suddenly a photographer just hits a button and now they're a cinematographer. You know, what, well now the guy that uses that technology, what are they going to be called? I mean, because now you do both, so you're not a photographer or a cinematographer. You're both. Is there just going to be you're an image maker? What you know, it's kind of an interesting thing to think about the future and. I, once again, I think about this stuff way too much, way more than I should. But Let's just call it augraphers. Augraphers, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But well, what do but, you think then? I mean, in terms of, uh, do you do you have a timeline in your head, and do you think what what is it, what what are we lacking to get that one device that will be able to give you the image, right? Like we're describing for both. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all just a matter of time. Honestly, I, I think, and and not just that, but I think the image maker. You know, if you look at a kid that's 16 in high school now, when I first started taking photography, you know, he he doesn't see the separation and video and stills being such a hard line in the sand. Um, and, you you know, you think just as simple of a thing as, oh, it's a camera and now it can do video and it's not really going to change much. Well, think about, you know, Apple and their iPod and they're like, oh, we're just going to, it's just a little better than the disc man. But no, it didn't just change the music player industry, it changed the whole music industry. And I think the same kind of thing is going to happen as far as, how we hire photographers or cinematographers is going to kind of change if you look five, ten years down the road because you have a hybrid new artists that kind of you could do a little bit of everything. Well, your, even your in basic goal is wedding to be that person, right? I mean, your goal is to be that person, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and just it takes a new way of thinking and, you know, that that's the trick. <laughs> Well, if you look at wedding photographers right now, they're expected to shoot stills and video. Or right. somebody's supposed to, if it's, if it's not them right. as a one-man band. I mean, that's right. part of the package you're expected yeah. right now. No, absolutely. And, the, and, and once again, I think, you know, schools have to adopt that a little more, yeah. too. You know, film schools need to integrate more still photography things and vice versa. And, you know, maybe eventually... I don't know. It's it's really interesting to see where it's going. You would kind of hit, hinted at this earlier in the fact that you're seeing things through a, a videographer's eyes now. And do you think that that's something that uh, is necessary? I mean, do you think that that you're going to have to learn to see differently if you're a still photographer? Or? I think it's definitely about uh, exploring the other medium. You know, explore the other side. You know, I'm not saying that every 
current photographer is going to be a great cinematographer by no means. But, you know, if your client, exactly, you're a wedding photographer and they're, you know, hey, could you do, do a little video of like when we say our vows or can you do, you know, just have that ability to shoot something that they could use for other purposes. You know, me, I, I just work for corporations and for ad agencies and all that. And, you know, they have so many needs for content now. It's, you know, now it's called content, by the way, because it's both still imaging, moving, whatever it is. Um, so I, I'll have a client that wants, you know, a still image for in-store. They'll, they'll want an animated GIF for a banner. They want stop motion for this. I mean, it, basically the, the, their needs are so vast that, um, you know, the, you need to kind of become a hybrid to be a, a, a approach that and stay relevant. Are your, are your clients looking at you as a photographer, as a, a filmmaker, or is it, is it a hybrid for you now? It is kind of a little bit of everything. Yeah, I mean... Basically, since, you know, it's funny look, look, to rewind a little bit, you know, since I started out as this travel photographer, right? And now I'm in this whole different place. You know, I, I still have people that hire me thinking that I'm a, a, a people shooter. And that's mostly what I do because that's what they know me to be. And the industry has a way of doing that, of labeling you as being one type of thing. Um, and that's a lot of reason why I'm really adopting the visual engineering title is that you have to shake them up a little bit every to, time, every like, time they think right, of you. Yeah. yeah. It's basically, I'm look, no, I'm going to, I'm telling you right now that I'm something new, I'm something different and I need you to, to realize that and look at my work again, you know, but then they, they still see me as a solutions person. I've always been the person that comes up with great visuals for the story they want me to tell. So that part hasn't changed. It's just how I'm doing it has changed. So you um, get a lot of creative freedom with the work you've been doing lately? Yeah, more and more and more, absolutely. You okay. know, because that's half yeah. the fun. Yeah, that was definitely a lot more <laughs> fun. No, I mean, you know, you know, I've had like a client of mine that I started shooting for is like Timberland. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one thing that I did for them, they're just like, we have this boot. It's waterproof. We want to show that water comes off of it. We really need still images, but do you have any other ideas? Mm -hmm. It's kind of where that conversation started. And and I was like, you know, an animated GIF with the water splashing off of it, and you can actually see that the water is coming off of it, like says it's waterproof. You know, the, the world is actually headed in a way where they want things to be a little more real at the moment, I feel, with live video and with, you know, Facebook Live and all that stuff going on. Like you, you have to be able to do, do something for real in front of a camera for it to actually happen in front of the camera live. So kind of the fakeness of all this retouching and all this stuff it is kind of losing some of its magic because people will first think, especially with like the burger I did, that everyone thought first that that was like completely fake and done in camera. That it didn't even phase them that I did that shot. It was more like, oh wait, but you did it for real. That 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 was really kind of what was exciting about it. Um, just like right now, Gatorade just came out with an ad where they they did this person running with water, and it, it's you think what I did was crazy as far as scientific. I mean that. The, the process for that ad is basically is the ad. You know, it's amazing timing of of lighting and water and, and all this kind of stuff. And you, you got to just check it out. It's an amazing Gatorade ad. If you see it water running Gatorade, you'll find it. Um, but no, I think clients are embracing the fact that with social media and with everything happening, the process could almost be just as exciting as the ad. You know, because basically traditionally advertising, right? Mm -hmm. You got a guy that called you a telemarketer and it's like, hey, buy this water filter system. Or you had somebody knocking on your door or you, you know, oh, we're going to go to a commercial break. Like it was all about interruption. You know, basically, hey, take a break. We want to sell you something. But nowadays advertising is really changing to like 
the customer's actually basically almost pulling the content and instead of you pushing it to them. So if you're telling an interesting story or doing something that they find interesting, you're advertising to them basically for free if they're kind of pulling it towards themselves you instead mean like of you. like a podcast for B&H? Just like a podcast for B&H. Um, <laughs> I never thought of that. And that's where I feel that the process is becoming a lot more interesting to them because it's not just the finished product they're seeing. They're seeing the story behind it. Now you're telling stories that involve a product. You're not just telling a story about a product. We all understand that advertising, uh, people tend to pigeonhole the content makers as to a photographer or as Alan often points out, well, you can shoot a red car, but can you shoot a blue car? Yeah. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So do you really need a, the, the right relationship with a creative director who's going to, at this point, understand this possibility that you can do both? Or do you still have to kind of break down the wall with people there's to definitely, get the jobs you want? There's anyway. definitely always walls to break down, yeah. you know, because basically you're, you're, you're fighting on all levels. I mean, you're fighting other amazing creatives out there. And nowadays you're not just fighting other creatives in New York City, you're fighting creatives all around the world. I mean, one thing the burger thing taught me was that we bid this job after, like we bid like 15 burger drops all around the world after that <laughs> thing went viral because people were like, I want that. And it was like in Poland and Brazil and, you know. And but can you do it with mayonnaise and ketchup? Hellman's of- was one of them that asked. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's just interesting. It makes you realize how global the world is becoming. And so now you're not just trying to, you know, convince the creative director here in New York that you're better than the other New York people that might do something similar, but you're just trying to prove the fact that you're going to be the best person for this job. But then also you could also handle the budget and the production and the, you know, it's just the levels of complexity are becoming much bigger. Shouldn't they be excited about the fact that the same person is shooting video and stills and saving a lot of money? No, and and there is definitely an education that we're having. Like I have a agent, Ray Brown Productions, that they're, they're out there you know, trying to help educate clients in the fact that they can do it differently, you know, because so many people are like so stuck that, oh, you need a director and a DP if we're going to do a video and then we need a still photographer, we're going to do that. And then, you know, basically what I'm really pushing forward is the fact that by combining it all together, suddenly your budgets got combined. So I could do a lot more creative work instead of every individual person before getting so spread thin because they're like, oh, we need 20 shots, not 10 shots. So, you know, everything gets dumbed down a little bit where if we're doing it together, we could do the 20 shots. But since it's all being done at the same time, not as two completely separate processes, now we could do it and be more creative. When you're putting together a budget for a new idea, especially with technologies that you really haven't even played around with, like when you did this burger thing, (laughs) there was a lot of new things you had to learn, new tricks. You had to actually construct parts of it with using a 3D printer, Right. right? Um, how accurate have you been in estimating time? Because you're not just figuring when you do an estimate, okay, it's going to be three days and I got film and Polaroid and the messengers and lunch. Now you have to actually, I have to figure out how to do this. I have to build the equipment that's going to pull this off and then work on the timing. Like you lucked out, you got in the third take, it could have taken you 300 takes. Right. Right. That that must be a challenge for you. It's a lot of testing and, and, and basically, every job I get makes me that much smarter. Basically, as I keep going, I because in a lot of ways, where I'm saying that I'm basically engineering things, mm-hmm. they're they're the great thing about it is they're repeatable things. You know, like once I create a certain thing that will do a splash a certain way, I could go turn that splash back on two weeks from now because it's code, it's it's mechanicals, it it, it doesn't take you know a, a hand isn't involved. So the more and more that I create new systems 
the easier it is for me to create more and more new systems. So just keep building yeah, and growing Yeah, because I'm basically building it. on the technology. You know, the more I learn about a certain platform, the more I could keep building off that platform. And there's so many things I've already built that now I'm like, oh, we need to drop something. I already have that in the back. Yeah, Boom, let's, you know, let's talk like, a little bit about because you were going to mention it earlier, and I know you've built a few specific things for doing both at the same time. Do you want right. to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's the challenge with slow motion because that's, you know, we really need to clarify that a lot of what I'm doing is because I'm shooting really, really slow motion of things that are happening super fast. Because uh, if I was shooting regular speed video of, you know, lifestyle or something, Basically, a lot of things I'm doing wouldn't be necessary in any way, but the world I'm working in is very specific and very technical. Um, so basically, the big trick you know that I started with, which is something that's been out forever and ever, is is using a split mirror box, kind of basically what they use for shooting 3D for movies, where mm -hmm. they'll have two cameras. Uh, normally, they would they would you know they would align the lenses together, but what I'm doing is one camera is looking through the the piece of glass and one camera's bouncing off the, the glass. It's basically like a teleprompter glass. It's uh, a see-through mirror is probably the easiest way to define mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So one camera's seeing the reflection, one's going through it, so they basically could get the exact same image, literally the exact same image. So that's step one is... The still image is bouncing off the mirror, right? Or no? well, it could be either way. It could be yeah, either way. Exactly. Okay. It could be two video cameras, one set one way, Doesn't one set another way. Basically, that, that, that allows me to do that already. So basically, I have multiple cameras capturing the same exact thing. And then the next step to that, which was the biggest challenge, was the lighting. Because um, basically, you know, still photographers have their flashes and their strobes, generally speaking. And your video guys have their big tungstens and their HMIs and all that kind of technology. And, and I owned tungstens and HMIs and I had strobes and all sorts. I have pro photos and I have Aries and, you know, I own a lot of that stuff. But it was really aggravating to me <laughs> it takes a lot to get me aggravated but <laughs> separate lighting systems for video and stills oh let's see if we could push what is this 19 curious 1980 um <laughs> and basically i was like no i you know the, the, we live in a world where i should be to have one light that does both so that's been my latest challenge was i created lights led based lights that work you know for not flicker free video for phantom which is also very specific because, you know, at a thousand frames, most lights you would see some flicker. Like I can't use HMIs for the most part and all that. And then the same light, I actually built a controller so that I could just turn them on and off for one twenty thousandth of a second or whatever it is for super short flash duration still photos. So basically, I'm really, if I was just doing this for normal speed video, it wouldn't be that crazy. It would be a little crazy. But the fact that I'm trying to do it for a thousand frames a second and for freezing action at like one twenty thousandth of a second flash duration is really pushing the limits of all this. So basically, you know, I'm working in now microseconds as far as my flash duration and then milliseconds for my video. And it's just, it's kind of crazy, but I, the, the system for the most part is working really well so far. Um, and in terms of lights, could you buy this or is it something you have to make? There's nothing out there yet. I'm, you know, if, if there's manufacturers listening, please come help me. Um, and, and, and and once how again, much, there's how much time do you spend then in in that? In that? I've I've spent way too much time working on this, you know, because once again, I'm not a I'm not really an engineer. You just <laughs> and, play one on TV. Yeah, exactly. I just play one on TV, and you know, and I know a lot of basics, but for this system, you know, I'm turning on a lot of power for really short durations, and I'm not just running it for like, oh, let me just do one or two lights. The lighting controller I built could control 48 lights. And the main reason for that is I want to be able to have the light feel like it's kind of changing while I'm doing this slow motion action. So let's let's put this into like a little 
visual for people in their mind here. So let's say we're talking about a one second of time that I'm going to shoot something. You know, traditionally speaking, if you wanted to make the light change in one second, your an HMI or even a tungsten light takes more than a second to turn on. You know, so basically if I want to turn something on and off or fade something in or out, it's not going to happen in that one second or if, I, if anything, I could do it once, you know, but then when I play that back in slow motion, that one second is now suddenly 60 seconds. So you basically you would never see that light change. So basically the, the reason I built the lights with so many channels is I could actually set up an array of lights. So I could have 10, 12 lights set up, turn them on and off at different increments to make it feel like the light is changing really quickly. So in this like explosion or this, you know, splash, the light is actually changed, like, like following the water splash across the frame or, you know, whatever I want it to do. And no, nobody makes anything that allows you to do this. The, the closest thing is DMX controllers for, but the 11, I think it's like 10 or 11 milliseconds is their standard base for like one change. And that's half a second of playback for me already in, in the Phantom. So it's just, it's not fast enough, you know, and, and it's, and what I'm running the system off is an Arduino controller, which is a $50, you know, not a kid's toy, but it's basically, you know, a very simple microcontroller that you could write code for, you know, so the technology exists is what I'm saying. If I could do it with this $50 computer and some MOSFETs and some wiring and electronics, you know, ideally somebody out there will, will eventually kind of catch up and be like, hey, you know, people want, you know, a to shoot video and stills with their camera. They might want a light that could do video and stills with their camera and not just stuck on the fact that it has to be just a constant light because that's what's basically happened so far is a lot of still photographers are just moving to using leds as constant lights and giving away getting rid of their strobes yeah. uh, but there's something to be said about what a strobe could do for you for freezing action for yeah. a still photo do you ever watch thunderstorms and say to yourself i gotta get some of that <laughs> no. <laughs> no, <it's> just, <laughs> well if the river flows do you see yourself be you know developing your your lighting business uh do you think that could be a possible model for you or no I, i'm not I, I don't love it enough I, I love more what i could do with it than i, than I do the process of building it actually that, that reminds me i wanted to ask you this how are you with the process and the trial and and specifically the error that comes with these things do you, do you kind of enjoy that fact or are you just pulling your hair out until it works right i, I don't make any errors <laughs> <laughs> do you have a good blooper roll <laughs> yeah um no i'm really good and i'm also i'm very very quick to learn i'm a very quick learner so it's like oh i did this and this didn't work out right i'm usually pretty good about picking myself up and be like you know but some days i just have to walk out and just be like tomorrow i'm going to come with a fresh mind and and start all over again um but no for, it's actually kind of amazing that how i could really pre-think a lot of it in my head of how, oh, if I did this and I did that, that should probably work. And I think that's just the engineering brain that my family gave me because my dad's an engineer, my brother's an engineer, my grandfather's an engineer, my cousin was an engineer, all of different sorts. And so you're the black sheep of the family. You, you're a not, photographer. Not really. I think I'm more of an engineer than they are <laughs> oh, now, that's for basically. sure. I see everybody so choking. It's actually funny. Like, I'll, I'll reach out to them with questions, be like, oh, I'm trying to do this. They're like, oh, I learned that in school, but I don't know how that works. Right, and I'm just right. like, wait, you're the engineer here. You have a master's degree. <laughs> and how does uh, a 3D printer change things for you? How, do, how does that, uh, I mean, obviously LED is right. fundamental. These are relatively new technologies. Yeah. And the 3D printer you use a lot. How, how, well, you, you know, an LED is not a new technology. Technology, no, but, but high-powered yeah. high LEDs are definitely a new technology. Um, no, the 3D printer is amazing. I mean, and the learning curve there is, is you, anybody could run out and buy a 3D printer for a couple thousand dollars, but learning the software is, is part of the challenge. And that was also a challenge for me with the Arduino. 
because the Arduino, you had to write the code, like it's basically C++, which was a huge learning cur curve for me. Well, once again, I took a class at Cooper Union at night on Arduino, and that was a three-month class once a week, and I learned what I needed to learn, and I do outsource some coding to somebody if I need a little more help, or just, once again, my time is worth a certain amount of money in what I do, and sometimes spending the whole night engineering something or if something's not working, you know, sometimes it's better like, Hey, let me call somebody that's a real engineer and that could help me with this. How do you shop around for robotic arms? Because you used one of these things that to what? with that, the camera movements are phenomenal. What? I mean, you knew you had to do this. Where do you go to look for robotic arms? That that was that's where I started that whole search. Actually, I was like, I need a robot to do this. Where do I find one? It's basically called motion control. What I used okay. for so it's an existing technology. Luckily for me, uh, that they've been using in stop motion and all sorts of things, but. It's fairly new that they actually have these high-speed robots that are basically industrial factory robots that somebody started repurposing to put cameras on. Um, so I started looking around and, and I found a couple of manufacturers. I reached out to them and they're like, oh, there's a couple in the city. These people own them. So I reached out to those people. I was like, hey, could you rent your arm? Can I, can I come see it? Because once again, I never used it. I knew what it basically did. And that's the thing, I guess... A lot of the process is understanding how things work. So, you know, whether I've used it or not, I still have a good understanding of it, how it works. Um, so I went, you know, I saw the arm. They talked to me a little bit about it. I had some questions. And then we went right into basically doing the shoot with it. It was it, they basically rented me the space to do what I needed to do. Um, eventually, I'll, 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 I get at least one robot. Um, you know, what I would love in, in my ideal, <laughs> let me paint you my ideal picture here of the future. Uh, a, one camera that does my stills and video. Um, robots that are going to be doing all my actions for me. So I have an arm that might be dropping a piece of food, another arm that's going to splash water into it, and I'm going to have another arm with a light on it that's moving around this thing while we're, you know, and they're all going to be like dancing. It'll be like a little symphony of actions happening in front of the camera that is 100% repeatable and 100% controllable. So it's like, <laughs> oh, that was a little late or that was a little off. It's like, oh, okay, bring that one back five milliseconds and boom, now it's perfect. And now moving on to the next shot and just... Kind of keep going. Let me ask then about the team of people you need to do this because it sounds like you know you could do this with humans as long as they were operating at the exact same time and doing which everything never, the, which they impossible. never do. Right? Yeah. But <laughs> and now that you're doing video and stills at the same time, do you need to bring in people that are able to do both at the same time? Do you have a team that you work with regularly, or do you get one right. of each? No, all? yeah, it really depends on the project. But um, basically, it, it eliminates a lot of the people from the equation. Uh, funny enough, I mean. A lot of the images that you know you'll see on my website, as far as videos go, um, were done with very small crews. I mean, we maybe had you know five people or ten people. If we need a lot of styling help, is where a lot of it is. But as far as you know, the base you're going to have like a digital tech of sorts that'll run the cameras, um, just as a backup to me, because honestly, I know how to run them on pretty much just as well as they do. Coming from that new kind of mentality. And then, you know, just a little production help and a little bit of more to, to make the reset time in between takes a little more efficient. Um, and, you know, there's definitely a time and a place and a, for depending on the production for a bigger crew or a smaller crew. But it's actually amazing how much I could do with just a really small crew nowadays if so many of the actions are automated. Um, and, you know, traditionally, if I was doing a splash or if I was doing a powder thing, um, you know, that that would take forever, you know, just to try to get it right. Because the timing of the camera, the timing of the action, you know, just it would drive me crazy. And it's just like we're we're spending half a day when if 
we had this dialed in. It's like, it would, we'd, we'd be done by lunch, you know? Well, do you more hang out with photographers or with engineers or robot, um, uh, computer programmers? Who's your... Yeah. Or, or crazy people with like unkept hair and, you yeah. know... They're pretty much ropes all, for belts. All of them have unkept hair. <laughs> now, um, it, it's a lot of photographers, to, and photographers and cinematographers in the fact that, you know, I went to photography school and a lot of my friends and stuff like that are that. Um, I would love, I, I, you know, a couple of years actually ago, I, I started like a, a monthly meetup where I was trying to get more people outside of the box from our normal photo video world to come and it never kind of really materialized. Um, but no, and I go to like the maker fairs and I, I just went to like a robotics expo at the Javits. So, you know, I'm trying to meet, I'm still dating. I'm trying to find some, some new, <laughs> some new robotic engineering friends. Um, and if I hire another intern in the future, I'm like actually seriously considering it being more of an engineering intern than a photo intern, you know, right, right. um, do you long for the day to just grab your camera and walk around, take street photos or go to Italy and hillside? No, no, no. no. <laughs> How about taking your camera with a robotic arm to Italy? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Can I bolt it to the plane? <laughs> now, how, how long ago you were you were in were you in RIT? Uh, I graduated in two thousand two. Okay, so fifteen oh, years ago. Oh, so it's a while ago. Yeah, yeah. Do you still have a connection to that school? Absolutely, yeah. Now, RIT is like you know it's the source of of a lot of photography. It, it's 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 doesn't need to be defended at all. Do you find them keeping up with the sort of energy and technologies that you're playing with right now? Or are they still kind of like behind the curve? They're, they're trying. They're trying hard. I, I actually, I, I stay involved with actually a lot of schools. Okay. Um, a couple of years ago, I was on the advisory committee to um, FIT here in New York that they're redoing their curriculum and they wanted some input from local people that are working in the industry. Um, and the, no, the, the the reality is that the school system, the architecture of schools moves very slowly. I mean, we, we helped them with that curriculum and they're like, oh yeah, we just implemented it like this year. So it's like, takes them like three years from when we tell them to do something to, they could actually get it through all the government red tape and all that. And I feel thank, thankfully RIT is a private institution and they could move on things faster and they're very aware um, of the changing of times. Um, actually, I, I just went out to NAB in Las Vegas and I know B&H was there too. Mm -hmm. I, I, I saw them out there. And out at NAB, um, I was the, the, the film department head and the, the head of the whole College of Imaging Arts and Sciences at RT were out there and I, I had dinner with them and we were talking about everything I'm doing and, and they're like, they're like, yeah, we get it. You know, we, we're, we're trying our best is, is kind of where Seems they are. Seems to me they'd want to be yeah. real good friends with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and every year that, you know, the, the advertising um, graduates from RIT like come on a trip um, to New York City and I see them pretty much every year. Um, and try to, you know, kick them in the butt a little bit to like, okay, here you go. Real world's coming. Time to, you know, kind of embrace the, the future. Two points. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about uh, exploding things? Sure. Because it seems like uh, <laughs> that makes up a lot of your work. Well, first, let me ask a bit. Let me jump back and I'll yeah. get to that. But when you're, do you ever create things uh, as a, as a, a reel or as a showpiece, mm -hmm. then send that out to say, hey, this is what I can do? And uh, is there anything specifically on your site that people we can point to that would be that? Well, yeah, I, I've been doing actually a lot of that. Um, a lot of the work on my site in the video section is mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that I produced on my own. Right. Uh, the burger shop being the first of those, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was me wanting to do this, and this this is the you know the, the new direction I want to show 
clients. So that, that was you know. not a commission to sign. No, that was not commission. You did that, that on your own on dime. On my own, yep. Uh-huh. Okay, you yeah, just was, elevated yourself a few yeah, more notches. Okay. <laughs> I was the creative director, art director, photographer, visual engineer of that one. What about uh, this thing with the blue and the red states? That was completely self-funded as well. Because yeah. yep. I watched that yesterday, and it was that's just beautiful. Yeah, really that was good. just like I'm like I need to do something about my feeling about you know the America and an election and everything that's going on. Uh, so I was like, let me do this. And actually, that was a really quick turnaround. Basically, you know, I thought about that around Christmas time and we shot it right at the beginning of the year and we had a week to edit it, color correct it and get it all out and done because I wanted to get it out really quickly. Um, and out on your, you mean on your website? On the website, social to social media, media and, and all that and, stuff. Okay. Yeah, because there was, you know, it was on Upworthy and other people had mentioned the product project too. And they were like, that sounds really exciting. You know, let's, let's see, you know. Yeah. And so once again, on something like that, my testing phase was really short. It's like, all right, let's get some powder. I played around with it in the studio for a day. And I'm like, okay, I think it'll work. And then I'm like the, the biggest time suck was, uh, was 3D printing all the stencils for making those. And then I learned after the fact that I really should have just laser cut them, which is another new technology that's really kind of amazing coming out. And, you know, and for me, the more tools in my toolkit, the more things I know about laser cutting and 3D printing, the, the easier it is to solve problems when I'm like, oh, I want to do this. What percentage of your time is spent pushing the shutter button? When I get hired? and or <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's nowadays I'd say, you know, like actual jobs, like for clients, um, it depends. Like sometimes, you know, like in February, I shot every day in February for clients. You know, it was a big job for Pepsi and I did this other job for Godiva and some other things. But then in March, things were really slow. And so I spent a lot of time building my new lighting system. You know, so really kind of it's it's hot or cold. It changes a lot. Um, I'd say a lot of times, even when I'm testing, though, I am shooting the test to a certain extent. Um, and then, you know, once I'm coming up with concepts is a whole other process. Because, because yeah, I'm not just trying to be the, like, give me a layout, I'll do that. I'm trying to really be like, give me an idea. Let me make the story to go with that idea, uh, which... You know, I think is when you're in photo school, you think that's what that's what people are going to hire you to do from the very beginning. No, usually you're just taking marching orders. So oh, if yes. anything, but yeah. by doing what you're doing, you've enabled yourself to have more creative space because they can't tell you what they want because you're the only guy <laughs> who can make it happen. Yeah, basically, that's a nice position to be in. It is, and and more and more clients are kind of coming around to to you know think of me that way because it's again it's a little bit of a learning curve and a lot of the reason why I've produced so much um so many tests of my own is to show that this is what I'm capable of of this is where I'm going um I just did a whole series on like cosmetics and stuff because I never really shot a lot of that but I was like I'm very you know I would love to do that kind of stuff you know blowing things up and just like any other business I'm trying to sell myself and I need to you know show people and market myself in a way that you know people understand what I'm trying to sell and also um, you know, show them what I'm selling. And did the red, white, and blue? Did the that the video? Mm-hmm. I guess we'll call it. Create, did that lead directly to any jobs? Or you know, I did not divided project is what I'd called it. Right. But um, yeah, no, we we actually recently did a job for a cosmetics company that had this new powder, you know, uh, you know, makeup thing that they wanted to like all exploding and, and stuff like that. And they actually found me by seeing that project, you know. So, and and that's the really interesting thing of like the burger thing going viral and, you know, other things kind of going viral or just really kind of getting spread out there by other websites like Petapixel and No Film School and all these kind of sites. I have, I now have relationships with them, which is great. Um, 
and they, they're like, oh, you're doing something cool. We want to share that with the world. So it's kind of a free promotion for me, but it brings me into jobs in a different way. You know, I, I still have the traditional agents and executive producer for video, but at the same time, I, I, a lot of jobs are actually coming in through social media in the fact that they saw me first this way. Then they're like, oh, wait, he's actually legit. And he's, he has, <laughs> you know, he has a proper agent and he has, a, you know, executive producer and all that stuff. Um, which sometimes scares them away because they're like, oh, I thought he did this burger thing in like his garage. Right. You know, yeah. like, wait, you, you need how much money to do this for yeah. us? You know, <laughs> um, so it, it it's a little bit of kind of goes both ways as far as, you know, sometimes it's a curse. Sometimes it's, you know, the opposite. Yeah. yeah. Um, Looking so, at your videos, I find it hard not to think of Blue Man Group, a lot of the musical <laughs> stuff with uh -huh. the, the liquids exploding all over the place. Yeah. It, it has a lot of the same impact. Uh, but again, you're applying it a whole different way. Right. It's really, really neat. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely messy. <laughs> we, <laughs> I, 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 we actually have our own like zip up suits that we put on now, like before a really was messy that water, shoot. Was that watercolor pigment that you're using for the? Uh, uh, it was the red, that, blue? it was the holly powder, the yeah, stuff yeah. that they use for the Indian festivals and all ah, that stuff. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Which all is right. super fine. It's crazy. I mean, the the poor Phantom camera was like purple. Like we really we bagged it and we tried it as best, but it it, it produces a lot of heat, so it has a fan that's really kind of. Sucking in, which uh, then I was like, oh, I could probably engineer a, a hose to pump air through it that would like draw like clean air, but I didn't have time for that. And I was like, <laughs> you know, but, but for the future, we'll do you that know. after lunch. We'll yeah, get to exactly. That. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, getting back to explosions, how, yeah. how do you make them happen? Um, there's a, a few ways I explode things. Mm -hmm. um, the most common way is just dropping them. It's usually kind of the easiest way because it's not just a drop, but it's a drop and then it, it spreads out, uh, which is really great. Um, recently we played with liquid nitrogen, which is super fun. Uh, so we would actually get things, freeze them in liquid nitrogen and then drop them. And then that would really shatter, um, colliding them into each other is also another great way. Um, cause it, you were, know. were any of these, uh, see, when I was looking at that, I assumed that you were having something impacting from underneath. Right. Right. Depending on what it is. Oh, yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. All right. Cause yeah. here you're saying you were dropping some things. Yeah. Some things we drop, some things we pop okay. it, it all, all right. it really so it was, all depends it was a mixture. Yeah. okay yeah exactly um like if you look on my website there's one with um like a uh, sneakers bar um or actually it's a milky way bar that we shot it normally and then we liquid nitrogen froze it and then dropped that and when it looks like when the bar hits it just like is like exploding you know interesting. so interesting so um, there's really no pyrotechnics here it's not yet no not there's yet. there's some <laughs> I, I've, I've bid some jobs where we would need to to bring in some pyrotechnics yeah. but by the, the problem, way there's, there's a twinkle in his eye right yeah, now totally. as he describes <laughs> this he's looking real happy but the, <laughs> but the uh the challenge to that is actually real explosions actually happen really fast yeah. so actually a thousand frames a second on a phantom would suddenly not be fast enough for a lot of stuff which is crazy to think but you know phantom has other cameras that could go you know five thousand or ten thousand or 100,000 frames a second, but the, the quality visually of the, the imagery gets a lot. Like, so you're really suggesting explosions more than making it. Yeah, which exactly. Is, yeah. It's, I mean, it's all whatever works to do the trick. It's a lot of magic tricks. Let's just call it that. I mean, like the, the way the burger shot I did worked is it was a lot of sleight of hand. Because basically we shot the top ingredients and then we shot the landing separately, but just the way the camera shot it, you would... You, you wouldn't know that we kind of did it as two pieces that were then just cut from one to the next in editing. It's not like we had to do crazy compositing. It's just like the way 
the camera moved past the things, it was really tricky. See, know? I told you it didn't happen that way. Let's pack up and go. That's yeah. it. We're, we're out of here. <laughs> yeah. But once again, everything I'm doing is, it's not about reality. It's about the reality I want to create. Ah, I like it. You know? reality. But do you, are you still doing kind of traditional still life food photography? Or Absolutely. That, yeah, that, I mean, and that's, you know, the interesting place where I'm at right now. This, this is still very early. You know, mm -hmm. the, the visual engineering thing has really been just for the last year of the 12 years or 15 years of my career, right. depending on how you look at it. So it's really kind of just getting off the ground now. And a lot of it was doing the test imagery to show what it, where I'm kind of going with it. Um, but no, a lot of my clients are still my traditional still clients or, or video clients that I've got recently because of the, the work I've been doing. Um, the hope is that as I start educating and kind of getting the word out there more, that more and more clients come to me for both from the very beginning. And we're, we kind of, you know, they kind of give me a set of parameters and then I just kind of take it from there and, and kind of keep them as part of the process. Um, a, a good example is um, Johnson & Murphy, the shoe company. I did their catalog for like 10 years. Um, great people. They're based in Nashville. And I basically eventually got like so much other work that I'm just like, it, I had to let it go, you know, which was really sad. But, you know, it, it's it's called growth. Basically, yeah, it's called growth. But now they're kind of coming back around and we've been talking about like, oh, we have this video thing that we might want to do that sounds perfect for you. So it's interesting how, you know, business is always about relationships. And I've formed a lot of relationships over all the years I've been doing this. And and th those are the people that are most likely to start taking the risk on you as you do something new and challenging. Do you do some just video? Yeah, 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 video. yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's great to, to be able to do either one and you know, honestly, if I'm just doing one or the other, sometimes I'm like, oh, this is so easy. Come on. Yeah. You know, like, like you, <laughs> you, just wanna, you just want to still photo? Like, how can we up the ante on this? A lot of times I get my ideas from existing <laughs> jobs that I do. You know, like the burger thing came from a campaign I did for Budweiser the year before that was Bud and Burgers, uh, which is Budweiser with a burger. And I was like, oh, man, this is great. These burgers look cool. But you know, it was all about the ingredients. They were all different burgers. But you didn't really get the, the read all those ingredients in a still photo as well as it the burger video I made where you really see each ingredient highlighted for a moment on the screen. You're like now suddenly highlighting those in a whole new way. And do you have a, a stylist, a food stylist that you work with always? And do, I have a, do they a do few. everything here in your yeah. studio? And I have cook, a few that I love. And you know, they, without them, honestly, without stylists in general, but food stylists and prop stylists, my work would not look at all as good as it does. But you'll hire yeah. one that's specializes in burgers and others in desserts. Yep, and exactly. Some people are really good at baking. Some people are really good at like looser editorial work. What, what are your lenses? What do you use? What yeah. kind of lenses? And do you use the same for film and video? And Well, completely different film lenses. Yeah. I, you know, for my Hasselblad, obviously, it only does still photos right now. I'm still waiting for that perfect camera of the future. Um, but um, all for my Hasselblad, it's all prime lenses. You know, I, I, I've never been a zoom lens user myself. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm making a conscious decision of exactly how I'm framing something. So, oh, if I need it to be wider, I'll get a wider lens. You know, like a lot of people, there's times and places for zooms because it's you know, about a simplicity thing. Um, but I'm, you know, everything I'm doing is not so fast and, you know, like I'm planning it for a long time. I don't need to like be able to uh, change really quickly. Um, on video, it's, it's actually a wide range too because um, I, I first started shooting video originally with just like a Canon 5D Mark II. Um, so I was using the Canon lenses, then I moved to some Zeiss lenses. Um, now in video, I'm using a lot of RE lenses, Fujinon lenses, you know, cook lenses. I, I kind of really, you know, depending on, yeah, 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 it really depends on the job and the, the, the look mm -hmm. I'm trying to go for. And that's actually been a little bit of a learning curve for me. Cause you know, I went from, I just shot my Hasselblad lenses and that's all I did. It's not like I could put a different lens on a Hasselblad, um, to now a camera where I could put 
any PL mount or, or even Canon mount lenses on the, the Phantom and like learning about all these different lenses and different manufacturers and different styles um, to affect the end product. Uh, but I, I, I tend to work a lot in the macro realm, so there's actually not that many macro lens choices um, that I could use. You, you obviously, you, motion and movement is a big piece of the work that you're doing. Do you think about using drones? Because I could see that yeah. being a really easy transition for you. I, a larger, a larger shooting surface area, but right. I, I could see. Yeah, I can imagine you thinking the, about these. They're basically robots that fly. Yeah, you know, it's, it's <laughs> the, the the limitation to them now is. I mean, for the most part, I'm working in the studio, so that's number one. The the use for them isn't that huge because. You know, honestly, it'd be blowing the powders around. It would it'd be causing trouble. Or at least but, bringing the coffee back. In but no, I, 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 you know, I bought one early on and I played with and I crashed and destroyed it. But yeah, um, me, me too. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm amazed at what people are doing with it. And, and I love that because a lot of my ideas were like, wait, forget the camera on the drone. Like, I want to put lights on the drone and people are starting to do that yes. more. I'm so excited for like the, these cultures of image makers and makers and, you know, all this kind of combining and people being like, Oh, somebody doesn't make that yet, but hey, I have this thing and I have this thing. Let me put it together. And that's the basis of really how I started doing what I'm doing, where I'm just like, oh, I know how to weld. I know how to have like electronic circuits and I know how to take pictures. Like, well, I don't like combine those things together. And, you know, now I call it my, my superpower is, you know, my ability to engineer this stuff and then make the visuals and kind of do it in synergy, you know. Cool beans. All right. Wow. Steve, thank you so much for having us here today. It's really, really been amazing. Now, for people who want to see your work and after this conversation, I imagine more than a few will, where should they go? Um, you can go to my website, uh, stevedraup.com, or if it's even easier for you to spell, visualengineer.tv. Um, I have that domain as well. And, and, and uh, it's G-I-R-A-L-T. So yep, there you that's go. right. Uh, I, I, we strongly urge you to take a look at these videos. Uh, it's really pushing imaging and technology to many of its limits. And, 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 and your end product, aside from being technically amazing, is visually stunning. To Thank work. you so much. Oh, and actually, if you love the behind-the-scenes stuff, my Instagram account is a lot of fun. Which is at Steve Droll as well. Okay, uh, before we uh, say goodnight, just a little reminder that uh, if you're not a subscriber to our show, go to iTunes for the B&H Photography Podcast. Subscribe. Leave us a comment. It really does. It makes a big difference. We get some interesting feedback, and we really do incorporate a lot of this feedback into our shows. Uh, it's nice having an extra set of ears. And our listeners have ears, so we like hearing from you. Um, on behalf of John Harris and Jason Tables and myself, thank you so much for joining us today.